Turn to Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be confirmed, conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. And whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. What shall we say then, say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you tonight. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Congregated around your throne and worship. Father, we thank you for all things. We know that all things work together for, for the good to those that love God, to them that are the called. And Lord, we're called tonight, and we're called to praise your name. Father, we thank you for the gift of grace, the gift of redemption that's in Christ Jesus. I ask that he be glorified tonight. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything. In Christ's name we pray, and for his sake, amen. All right. The last time I, I preached, it was March of this year, and I uh, said I was going to preach at that time. I was going to preach on the sovereignty of God. I was going to make that my sermon, but the Lord laid it on my heart at the time to preach on Christian unity. And I said, okay, well, if I ever get the opportunity again, I'm going to come back and preach on the sovereignty of God and and uh, that's what I intend to do tonight. Okay? So, um, I hope it, it's a good word. I hope that it's helpful to you and that you take it home and you think about it. And I hope that if you're listening on the internet tonight, that uh, it does you some good as well. So, um, let's go ahead and let's read that again. Romans 8, 28 through 31. And we know that all things work together for good. Not just some things, not just most things, not even those things that we think are good, but all things. That word all, it's pretty important. So we know that all things. The New American Standard translation says that God causes all things to work together. Things may look like they're falling apart in this world. Things are crazy out there. But in God's estimation, everything is falling perfectly into place. And not just because, but it says right here, it's for our good. Why? It's not because he's casually observing things from a distance. It's 
because he's causing all things to work together. And, and uh, you've got to consider the audience that Paul's writing to here in the book of Romans. Who are the intended recipients of this epistle? Is it everybody in the entire world? Does it include those who don't believe? No. It, it's intended only for believers. It's for them who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. This book's written to believers. And if you believe, if you're listening tonight, if you believe, you can know that this book's written to you too. All the scriptures are for you. They contain everything that you need to have a right relationship with God, with the creator of the universe. So the scriptures alone along with his spirit's illumination, that's all we need. And these scriptures are all about God. And it's how we learn who he is. Scriptures aren't about Israel. They're not really even about the church. They're mentioned, they're, they're important parts. But the scriptures, they're all about God. They're all about Christ. And when you start with that premise, you can't go wrong. And you, you can read the scriptures, and if you read it, just to find proof texts and theological arguments and propositions, whatever. And it's not going to do you as much good as if you read the scriptures to find Christ. Now, don't ever forget that. Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century Baptist uh, theologian, preacher, he's, he always would drive this point home, and uh, he, there's a familiar story, you may have heard it, in his preaching school, he was teaching some men how to preach, and a number of them were being taught to preach, and uh, in one of his classes he was evaluating these men and their various sermons, each man would get up and give a sermon, and one of the men who received a poor review, well... He wanted to know why he got that bad review. So he, he went up to Mr. Spurgeon and he said, he asked him, did I speak clearly? Spurgeon said, yeah, you spoke very clearly. And then he asked, did I drive the points of my sermon home well? Spurgeon said, yes, you, you drove the points of your sermon very well. And then he asked, well, what was wrong with my sermon then? And Spurgeon said, there is no Christ in your message. And then the young preacher said, but Christ wasn't in the text that I used. Spurgeon said, Christ is in every text, and it's your job to find him. You know, I don't really consider myself to be a religious person. Religion is concerned primarily with what you should be doing. You do this, you don't do that. You know, it's concerned whether you're going to church or if you're tithing or, or if you're praying and singing and living your life properly. It and seems to be obsessed with pomp and circumstance. That's the chief business of religion. But I'm not interested in that. And I stand to you today not interested in that at all because I'm in love. I'm in love with a person. 
I'm in love with Christ. And He's in love with me. In one of the bulletins going back to May of 2015, Jim shared one of the poems that Henry Mahan had sent to him. We don't know who the author is, but I'm going to go ahead and read it to you here. Jim read through. Jim read it. Well, he didn't, he wrote it, but then he also added uh, the fourth through the sixth verses. I sent this to Susan earlier as a little preview, but I thought you'd all like to hear it today. So uh, here it is. For every pain we must bear, for every sorrow, every care, there is a reason. For every falsehood that is said, for every tear that is shed, there is a reason. For every grief, for every trial, for every weary, lonely mile, there is a reason. For every sickness that is ours, for all the broken-hearted hours, there is a reason. And for every trouble that we meet, for every time we see defeat, there is a reason. For every day we are oppressed, for every problem, every test, there is a reason. For we will trust God as we should, and all this will work together for our good, because our God is the reason. I love that poem. And if you'd like a copy of it, I can send it to you. Just let me know. And uh, the man who sent that poem to uh, to Jim, I know you all know who he is here in this church, but his name was Henry Mayhan, for those of you listening on the Internet. And many times he, I've heard him referred to as the Spurgeon of the 21st century. And I agree with that assessment. He wrote several books and commentaries and he was instrumental, in my opinion, in helping to establish many of the the uh, congregations, the free grace congregations you see all over the country, and most of them are probably still going today. But let me tell you a little bit how it all began. And I've done a little bit of research and discovered that in 1947, a very young Henry Mahan became the song leader at Pollard Baptist Church right here in Ashland, Kentucky. For those of you who don't know, it's just down the street here on Blackburn. And at the time, Pollard was the largest Southern Baptist church in eastern Kentucky. And a man named Don Wells was the pastor there. And in that year, in 1947, the pastor, Mr. Wells, he wanted to have a long two-week meeting kind of like a revival or what we call a Bible conference, except it goes on for two weeks. That was the thing to do in eastern Kentucky, I guess, back then. But he didn't know who to ask or where to look to come visit and read and lead, lead the meetings. Uh, I guess there was no yellow pages for <laughs> sovereign, well, just preachers to do that sort of thing. The Internet didn't exist, so it was a little hard to find the information. And... Uh, an associate of his, uh, Dr. Charlie Stevens, is a, was a school principal. I don't know if you know that name, Ron. He, um, he, he wanted to know if he knew anybody who should come and preach. And Dr. Stevens said, yes, sir, I do. I'd recommend that you have Rolf Barnard come and preach. 
Ralph Barnard, who's he? He said, well, he's billed as the evangelist who's different. And oh you know, yeah, he was different, all right. And so they, they had scheduled the meeting with Barnard, and when Ralph Barnard was introduced, Pollard, you know, of course, was a very large church at the time. If you drive by the building now, you'll see that it's just a really big building, bigger than this one, I think. And uh, there was even a balcony in it, and it was packed. And uh, there was a 21-year-old Henry Thomas Mahan sitting in the front row. He didn't know what Ralph Barnard was going to do or say. And all of a sudden, during that initial meeting, he looked down on that 21-year-old assistant pastor, the, Mr. Henry Mahan. He said, son. And Henry looked around and he said, yes, I'm talking to you. And he asked, do you know Romans 8.28? Henry said, yes, sir, I do. And Ralph said, well, stand up. Let's hear it. So Henry stood up and he said, we know all things work together for good to them that love God. And then he sat down. And Ralph said, is that all it says? No, sir, that's not what it says. Well, stand up, son, let's hear all of it. So Henry stood up and he said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. And suddenly, Rolf said with a very fervent tone, purpose, purpose, purpose. And then he said, son, God never does anything by accident. He does it on purpose. And if you will learn that, if you learn that, not only will the gospel open up to you, but all the word of God will open up to you. God never does anything by accident. He does it on purpose. And later that evening, the pastor and Rolf were headed out to eat, and they walked by Henry. He was sitting in the hall with his Bible open. And they said, Henry, would you like to go out to eat with us? Henry said, no, sir. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to search this Bible for the word purpose. And see what it says. So was was Rolf Barnard right or was he wrong? Let's start from the beginning. When the Lord Almighty created the heavens and the earth, did he do it accidentally or did he do it on purpose? Did he determine that he'd create this universe on purpose? that he would create the vast galaxies made up of trillions of stars, planets, black holes, and all kinds of things flying around out there. Did he determine that he would create this planet Earth that has sunlight during the day and a moon that you can see at night? Was that on purpose? Or was it an accident? I believe it was all done on purpose. And this planet, it rotates on its axis at over a thousand miles an hour. It may not feel like it, but scientists tell us that it is. It's generally accepted as such. Question for you. Do you th what do you think would happen if the Earth rotated at only a few hundred miles per hour? Or just say 100 miles per hour? Well, to begin, 
the days and the nights, they'd be a lot longer. If this planet only rotated at the tenth of what it does now, well, the nights and the days, they would be ten times longer than they are now. Instead of a 24-hour day, we'd have a 240-hour day. But really, life wouldn't really be sustainable with that kind of day. Any grass or plant life that existed either burn up during the day or it freeze during the night. Is it an accident that the length of our days is perfectly suited for our lives? Or was it made that way on purpose? Our sun, it has a surface temperature of over a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Is it an accident the sun is just far enough from us that it doesn't burn us up and burn everything like up like we see on, like say, planet Mercury, but happens to warm things up just right so that life flourishes? Or was it on purpose? The moon in the, in the sky, it's 186,000 miles from the Earth. What would happen to, if the moon was a lot closer? Well, let's say, like, say, 50,000 miles. Well, the tides in the ocean, they'd be so strong that all the land would be covered by water. Could life be sustained in an environment like that? No. No. We'd probably all drown. <laughs> Is that by accident? All the planets move in perfect harmony in their little orbits. Ever wonder why they don't crash into each other? What would happen if they did? Would the orbit of our planet continue as it is with other planets? Is this by design or is this by accident? If everything you see in the night sky is working perfect harmony, keeping the balance just right, Is that on purpose, or is that an accident? Even the air we breathe, 99% of it's oxygen. 1% is made up of all these other little gases, nitrogen, krypton, argon, whatever. The air is mixed just right so that we can breathe without struggling. Is that an accident, or is that on purpose? Your body, your human body, has over 100,000 miles worth of blood vessels that our hearts pump this oxygen and other nutrients to all our trillions of cells. And by the way, we got over 100 trillion cells in our body. Well, I heard that. Did you know that? Uh, all of this is so we can live. Is that on purpose, or is that an accident? You got all these organs, you got these bones, you have all these different systems working in together in your body. As I found out this week, I found out I have a circulatory system. Got to keep my blood pressure low. You have a nervous system. You have a respiratory system. You have a skeletal system. You have a reproductive system. You have a digestive system and a muscular system. Is that all of that by an accident? Or is that on purpose? Psalm 139.14 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Are we here today on this earth on purpose? Or are we just the result of an evolutionary accident? Are we merely the products of chance? Are we merely the products of random mutations? Or are we here on purpose? Did you know 
that God had a Savior in mind before there ever was a sinner? Did you know that God had a surety of a covenant of grace before we were created? Did you know that God planned to be glorified through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus before he, he made us? Now, I don't know all of you who are listening tonight on the internet. I know most of you in this room. But I can tell you that nobody is born by accident. You're here today living and breathing and listening to the sermon, and it's not by accident. You may not even know who your parents are. You may not know even who your grandparents are. But that's all right. You're still here on purpose, and you're no accident. My heart aches for orphans out there who don't have parents. They need to hear that they're no accident. Society may tell them that they are, but they're no accident. Nobody's an accident. And the truth is, nothing is an accident. It's no accident you're sitting here listening tonight. It's no accident you're living in the year 2021. And it's no accident that you're married to your husband or your wife. Or that you're not married. That's not an accident. Think about all the events that led up to you meeting your spouse. Do you think those are just random events? Or were they planned out for you? I'm going to talk about Angie here for a second. I remember back in the 90s, I won a scholarship to the local junior college. It's the Menorahary College. It's in the uh, southern Missouri Ozark region. And do uh, you know who else had a scholarship to that school? She's sitting right there. My wife, Angie. We were both in the school's jazz band. I played the little trombone, and she played the saxophone. You, you've heard her. She still plays today. I don't. But she caught my eye. And I caught her off guard, and I asked her out on a date. And our friendship, it developed into a loving relationship. We got married, and we had that son over there who read the scriptures earlier, Cole. I know that, that wasn't an accident. And it's no accident that the Lord laid it on our heart to move to this town and be a part of this congregation. So, if you would, would you please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Nothing by our God is by accident. We're going to read in verse 11. And remember that this is written to believers. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the what? Purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You know what this tells me? It tells me if you're saved, if you have obtained an inheritance which is, which is in Christ, he saved you on purpose. Read that again. The purpose of him who worketh all things. Not most things, not some things, not only the good things, but all things after the counsel of his own will. All things. God doesn't ask for permission. 
He didn't ask for my permission to save me. Besides, salvation isn't about me. It's about Christ. It's not about you. It's about Christ. And all you need to know is this. What did Christ say to his disciples about prayer? Not my will, but thy will be done. And when the Lord personally stretched out to all of his people, we learned to bow and submit to his will. Just this week I found out I may have stage 3 chronic kidney disease. Don't worry about it. But uh, right after this conference, this, this month, earlier this month, I went straight to the emergency room with really, really high blood pressure. That's, I found out about my circulatory system. It, it was uh, 200 over 120. Uh, pretty high. And uh, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I was sitting there in the emergency room. And I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know if it'll be next week or 30 years from now. But I sat there in that emergency room and I had a peace. I had a calmness to me. I wasn't, I wasn't scared. It's because, of, it's because of this. Hold your place in Ephesians 1. We're going to go over to Colossians 1. Starting in verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And... He is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Henry Mahan once said while giving a sermon that the Lord is in charge of everything. When you drive down the road and the car in front of you kicks up dust in front of you, Every, every particle of that dust, it falls exactly where it's supposed to fall. And shortly after he said in, in a sermon, a wasp flew up his leg and stung him. And he said, looked up, he said, Lord, what was that for? So <laughs> everything is for a purpose. And uh, maybe that wasp was stinging you for, stinging Henry for today. Maybe it was so that it could be recorded and you could be given a little bit more comfort that the Lord is in control. God's in control of all things. And uh, it gives me comfort. No matter what happens, we know it's by God's hand. How comforting is that to know? How comforting is that for you to know? The safest place in the world is submitted to God's will. And the most comforting place in the world is bowed down, submitted to that will. When you stop worrying and everything, about everything, and realize it's all by God's sovereign hand, you can relax. You can be like me in the emergency room, sitting there. Well, I wonder what's going on next. Stop worrying about everything. Don't worry about your finances. Don't worry about your health. I'm not saying we should neglect these things. I'm just saying you should stop worrying. 
God's got this. Not my will, but thy will be done. That helps to stop my mind from racing. And, uh, but only when I rest in that knowledge. And I rest right here in Scripture in the all things. The Lord, he caused me to learn to play trombone and that my grades were just good enough to get a scholarship to a local junior college instead of going to that big prestigious university. He had me be good enough to get into the jazz band. And then he had Angie be in that same class with me. All of that so that we would meet, be joined in marriage, and have a son. He's behind everything in my life. He's behind everything in your life. He's behind everybody's lives. And it's true whether you believe or not. And according to Paul here in Ephesians, this is all according to the counsel of his will. His counsel. What does that mean? The counsel of his will. If you hold your place in Ephesians, you can read that. In whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. What's a counsel? Well, it's a group of people that get together to decide something. And in this case, it's the counsel of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all counseling with one another. And this counsel of God, it got together before the foundation of the world to determine all things. That's what it says here. All things that would happen in space, time, history. And you want to know what history means? History. It's his story. And we're part of it. His eternal purpose, his counsel, and his will is worked out in history. Remember that, his story. Okay? Well, what's all this for? What's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of his purpose? Well, it's to bring glory to himself. It's for God to be glorified in the highest. And in particular, it's to bring glory to his son through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. It's to bring redemption to his chosen and elect people. If you wouldn't mind, you can read that right here for yourself by turning to, turning to Romans 11, 11, verse 36. Says it pretty, pretty plainly there. For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Everything is of him. God the Father, he's the source of all things. He predestinated all things. Everything's through him also. It says everything is of him, through him. Everything that he has purposed in his eternal counsel, he brings to pass. He's working in every moment. He's working out everything to make sure his plan, his story is carried out. And this includes his plan of redemption as well. Christ, our Messiah, he, he did this. He did this when he lived that perfect life and died as the perfect blood sacrifice for his people. And everything is to him. It says right there, to him. 
all for His glory. The end of the purpose of God is the glory of God. Now, inevitably, when you when you when when you talk about this with people, they'll say, "Well, what about our will? Oh, what about it?" Um, people like they they talk like to talk about a will that is free. That is, they believe their will is independent from God's will. But I have to ask them this. Is it? How could it be if God has purposed all things, as the scriptures say right here? Wouldn't everyone's wills be a part of all things? You know, I I don't think people really know what they're talking about when they uh, talk about having a free will. And I know politicians, they use it. They use that phrase all the time. And I, they, they, a lot of people, when you say free will, they just think, oh, we're free to make choices. And I agree with if that, if that's what you mean by free will. Yeah, I'm a free, free to decide what I want to have for dinner this, tonight. But religious people, they, uh, they usually mean that they're free to save themselves through an exercise of their will. That's usually what is meant by the word phrase free will but our will really isn't free for those of you who might be listening tonight on the internet why don't you will to not eat for the rest of this year see how far they get you go ahead and I'm willing to to bet you money (laughs) wager that your uh, your will will give in to your hunger and It'd be pretty quickly too. It's going to be. It's not going. To, you're not going to make it to the end of the year. You're going to be. I don't think you'd make it to tomorrow. I'd have a hard time. I've been able to do it, but it's hard. Your belly's got more power than your will. And I know this from experience, and I'm sure most of you all do too. Do you understand? You, there's only one being that has a free will, and that's God. Nothing forces him to do anything. Nothing can coerce him to do anything. He's not persuaded by any puny human's will to do anything, really. He can't cause him to change his mind about anything. He's absolutely free to do according to his will. But we aren't. Our only freedom is within the confines of our nature. And as a sinner... I'm free to keep sinning. But that's not what people mean by free will. Uh, I'm not, old analogy I used to use with Angie all the time, I'm not free to sprout wings like a bird and fly off into the sky. I'm not free to change my nature. There's a question for you. Does a, does a person become a sinner when they sin? Or does a person sin because they're a sinner? A bird doesn't become a bird when it flies. It flies because it's a bird. And we sin because we're sinners. And I'm not saying we don't have wills. We all have wills. You can decide what you want to have what you want to have for breakfast tomorrow. But God's also got a will. And by nature, we want our way. We want our will. And you want your way too. But God wants his way. And there's going to be a battle of the wills. It's going to be a battle between your way and his way. And you better hope that God wins.
Because if you, if you win, the prize is hell. And I don't want to win that battle. I don't want to go my way. My way leads to destruction. Here's a little secret, though. God always wins. He always gets his way. And if you go to hell, it's because he intended to put you there. That's not, it's not because you chose it. And if you're saved and you go to heaven, it's because God favored you in Christ and sent his son to die for you. And then he sprouted wings on you and he caused you to fly like a bird. He caused you to believe the word of truth when he presented it to you. And you know what else I don't want besides my way or my will? I don't want my works. I want Christ's work on the cross. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Give you a, let me give you a brief synopsis of what's going on here in this chapter. Christ's disciples, they've been preaching the gospel. They're pretty excited and wanted to spread this good news that they had heard all around. But the uh, Jewish rabbis, the Pharisees, they weren't too happy about that. It was undermining their authority, and so they came out and told the disciples to stop preaching these things. And the disciples responded and said, Sorry, we can't help it. We can't help but speak these things. So the Pharisees threatened these disciples. Let's turn to verse 23 there. And being let go, they went to their own company and reportedly reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? By the way, that quotes from Psalm 2. Why... Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Well, what are these vain things that are imagined by people? Well, religious ideas, unbelief. It's imagining that their will is free from God. It's imagining that their will is superior to God's. It's imagining that there is no God. Got a lot of vain things in this world today. You can go out on the street, lots of vain things. So the speaker here, who's Peter, he's quoting Psalm 2. Let's continue. The kings of the earth stood up, verse 26, the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Thy counsel. These words, they blow my mind. You all know who Herod was. You all know who Pilate was. Herod was that, that awful king who, who was scared to death of, of Christ. He was afraid he was going to lose all his power to him. And uh, so Christ was taken to Herod. And Pilate, he was the Roman governor in charge of the Roman soldiers. And here in verse 27 it says that they were gathered together, that is the Roman 
Pilate, Herod, all the, the folks that were behind crucifying Christ, they were gathered together to do. What is it that they did? What, what they wanted to do. They mocked him. And they made him wear a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And they shouted to him mockingly, Hail, King of the Jews. And in John 19, it says, The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And they paraded him around to his death and killed him. In a, in a very brutal manner. And it's unspeakable to imagine what they did to him. And they, the people yelled, crucify him. That's what the people wanted. They wanted this. But look at verse 28. Who else wanted this to happen? Who else purposed this to happen? God did. Christ suffered and died. And what took here, what place here was beyond, beyond description. Here we have the innocent Lamb of God taken out and murdered by, by these people. And Christ's blood was spilt on Calvary. Such a terrible sin. It's, it's hard to speak, speak of it. But right here in verse 28 says this was part of God's plan. It's what he purposed to do. Turn to Psalm 22. This is a psalm prophesying the death of the Messiah. If you haven't read it, I'd, I'd ask that you do, but we're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to read one verse here. Verse 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Even the casting of lots for Christ's clothes. That was all planned out. It was all prophesied here. Such a minor detail, isn't it? But here we see it's it's here we see it it's revealed that it was prophesied here by the psalmist. Now turn to John nineteen twenty four and we're gonna see the fulfillment of this. One of these minor details written thousands thousands of years before Christ came. Verse twenty four Chapter 19, John. And they said, Therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Even something as innocuous and sinful as the cruel Roman soldiers casting lots for Christ's garments, this too was predestinated and sovereignly carried out by the Lord. Those Roman soldiers, their will wasn't free. They did as they were created to do. If anyone asks you, does God predetermine the decisions of everybody, you can answer correctly according to Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing of it is from the Lord. But why? Why did God decide all these seemingly little things? Well, we read it earlier, Romans 11.36, for his glory. 
But how does that bring him glory? How, how, does, how does this, how do sinful people carrying out the decree, decree of God glorify him? Well, got some questions for you that you can ask yourself. Would God be more glorified if he just made this world and all of his people without sin? Would there be a need for a savior if we were sinless? Would there be a need for the cross if there weren't needy sinners who were loved before the foundation of the world? Was the cross needed to glorify God? However you decide to answer those questions, ask yourself this. Who are we to question God? It's not, is, isn't his mind much greater than ours? And isn't he capable of determining what brings him the most amount of glory? Our puny and our weak minds, they're incapable of thinking like he does. I'll just read this to you. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, my mom and dad are listening tonight, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about my mom. And I was, when I was a young boy... My, my, my mother, she was um, very careful to teach me proper grammar. Like I remember she'd shush me if I came into the room and said, ain't. I ain't going to go to school tomorrow. You know, she told me that was a cuss word, so I'm up here cussing. Anyway, she, she had me going for a little while, and uh, she went to these great extents to make sure I learned proper grammar. And it's, done, it's served me well. And it'll serve you well if you, if you read the scriptures. And she also the taught, taught me the difference between may and can. There's a vast difference between those two words. Can means capability. May means permission. Mom, can I have a cookie? Yes, son, you can have that cookie. However, you may not. Dinner is coming up soon, and I don't want you spoiling your dinner. See the difference? Now listen up. All of us may come to Christ. All of us have permission to come to Christ. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Do you thirst? And you may come. You have permission to come to Christ and drink freely of the water of life. But can you come? <laughs> that's, a different, that's a different question altogether. No, you can't. Seems the vast majority of the world, though, they, they don't thirst, and therefore they can't come to Christ. Why? Because they don't thirst. John 6.44 says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. If you have a strong concordance, you'll see that the Greek word for draw there is helko. Do you know what that means? Well, it, the first form in the strong concordance, when you look it up, it means to drag. Let's read that passage again. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me 
drags him. You can't thirst unless the Lord enables you to. You can't sprout wings and fly like a bird to Christ unless the Lord puts those wings on you and breathes life into you and takes you to him. You will be drawn irresistibly by his grace. You will be dragged to Christ. So you may come to Christ, you got permission, but you can't come to him unless the Lord breathes life into you and causes you to rest in him. Do you find an interest in your heart and your soul for Christ? Do you want a relationship with him? Well, let me tell you right now, that desire has been put there by the Lord, if you do. You can't have that interest unless God purposed it. God's purposed all things. So if the Lord is working an interest in your heart, then you can also expect to be called. And when he calls you, it's effectual. What does that mean? Well, my mom was the grammar teacher, but she was also the disciplinarian for me growing up. And if I was causing problems, she'd say, Brandon, stop that. And I was a mean older brother to my little sister, and I'd pick her on her quite a bit. I'd look at her, and then she'd say, he's looking at me. And I'd look away. And uh, my mom would say, Brandon, stop that. My mom was her only defense for a while. So, but later she got mean enough she could whip up on me. But uh, uh, as a, I was a typical kid, and sometimes in my mom's words, they just went right through one ear and out the other. I didn't hear her. Couldn't get my attention. Usually, although, all it really took, though, to get my attention was what my family eventually uh, called or deemed the look. We called it the look. And that's where she'd squint her eyes like this and just give me a mean old look. And it scared me to death. It caused me to stop whatever it was I was doing, whatever mischief I was up to, and start behaving. It was an effectual look. <laughs> and uh, when Christ calls his people to himself, that call is effectual. If you're called to Christ, he will save you and robe you in his righteousness. And you will rest in him. And nothing you can do, nothing you do or can do, you can't do anything to stop it. He's going to have his way with you. Remember, this is his story. No matter what you currently want to do right now or try to do to stop him. And I could spend the next month standing here in this pulpit pleading with you to believe on the Lord. But I'm not going to do that because it's not going to do you any good. The only call that matters is Christ's effectual call. And when he calls you, you will come. He'll drag you into his light with you kicking and screaming all the way if he has to. You can't stop it. Do you desire to be with the Lord? Do you desire to come to a saving knowledge of Christ? Do you desire to have that right relationship with the Savior? Know this, you may come. But if you find you can't, pray that the Lord enables you to believe and rest in his Son. And when you finally do come, and when you finally do rest in Christ, you'll find that your life was not lived in vain. 
no matter what. You'll find that your life does have a purpose. You're put on this earth to glorify God in some way. If you believe, it means you're meant to glorify the Lord through your salvation, through the redemption that's in his blood. And even if you never believe or rest in Christ and die and go to hell, know this, you'll still glorify God. He will be glorified. He's glorified in all things, even the death of the wicked. And if you do come to Christ, you're also going to be a minister. And to minister means to serve. And being a minister doesn't, it means much more than just getting up here in, in this pulpit and preaching. We've all been given different tasks, different talents, different experiences, different ways of talking. You know, that's one of the things I liked about our conferences is we get to listen to different gospel preachers, and I like listening to Jim. Don't get me wrong, my little disclaimer. But uh, the Bible conferences we have, they're, they're great because we get to hear truth in a variety of different ways. Did you ever notice the different ways these men talk and deliver these messages? Well, maybe that's just God's way of reaching and communicating truth to all of his people. Maybe your ministry, your service is to help others in need. Maybe it's to serve this congregation in some way or to visit lonely widows or people suffering from afflictions in the hospital. I know we don't can't do that yet because it's one visitor per person but that needs to be done and maybe it's just to sit in your pew and pray that his will be done his story is carried out whatever your ministry is you can rest knowing that you will do what God has purposed for you to do in the service of his kingdom don't ever forget that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. If you believe, you can look back on your life and know that everything in your life, including your life of unbelief and all of you, even your wicked ways, your sinfulness, that too worked to good for you and for his glory through the redemption that is in Christ according to his purpose. That's all I got. You're dismissed when the music's finished. <laughs>